Well, friends, we made it. It's been a long journey, and I can barely believe that the first episode of Season 2, Shibuya and Hidden Inventory, aired in July. Uh, it feels like the year flew by. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of don't like it, but also I'm glad that we got to see another awesome season. I'm Emily, I'm your host today, and I am joined by Mina. What's up, everyone? I, too, feel like time is an illusion i think i said that in the last episode so i'm not gonna crack the same joke that i did but yeah it's crazy that we've gotten through this entire 23 episode season it feels like it lasted about as long as an 11 episode season of swords of village so i don't get time it's weird but here we are yeah when are they filming uh the next season when does production begin (laughs) it's i i don't know but I think no. I was just kidding. There's... I was just making a joke oh. about. <laughs> oh, very fill... funny. Yeah, because all the you know everybody is alive and well, right? They're all just actors and are, you know, going. I don't want to talk about it. Every... I don't want to talk about fine. it. All right. Well, uh... it's my head cannon. <laughs> Prematurely introducing himself today. We are also joined by you are my special special guest. Uh, yeah i know uh tom welcome back to the hashira half hour thanks happy to be here (laughs) all right we're off to a good start so this is of course the season finale let's just pick up where we left off we left with yuki facing off against pseudo geto and she recalls in this conversation um, an older conversation between herself and the real geto and she argues that his current method or his thinking has a large hole because humans can only be enhanced through the power of Tengen and that is exclusive to Japan. So if humans in Japan were forcibly evolved so quickly, the rest of the world would perceive it to be an enormous threat and they would all work together to eliminate that threat. And that just got me thinking. There's been a lot of really interesting media about Japan's place as a world power over this last summer and this last year especially. Two major blockbuster films come to mind in particular. We have Oppenheimer, of course, and Godzilla. And both of these films were really, really well received by critics and by audiences. And they both talk about historical and metaphorical versions of something similar, I think, to this idea that the world would immediately turn on Japan. Do you think in some ways that since cursed energy is specific to Japan in this story, that this story could end up falling into a similar vein in popular culture? Do you think there's additional meaning behind this writer's choice that this is, this cursed energy is only effective in Japan? I think they say it in the episode, right? They're like, if Japan gets too strong, then that country would intervene i think is what they say and it's like very clearly about the u.s but i i do think that it's also a way for it to make it more impactful for just the the one geography in the world it's like why isn't why it's a way to answer the question like why isn't somebody else interfering and it's like well it's only really here it's only like an issue here so i think it's a creative way to kind of explain that without like making it this whole big thing i i can't help but say i totally laughed when it was clearly america and they're like even that powerhouse is gonna turn on us and it was kind of silly as americans to watch that i think for us like our perspective of it was like oh hey it's us (laughs) but i think that this is kind of an interesting perspective that we don't always get to see because the story is taking place in japan and it's 
written by a Japanese person and it's mostly for a Japanese audience. It's just stretched out beyond, you know, that country. It's interesting to see their perspective on what would happen if Japan kind of grew into this powerhouse that Yuki is kind of saying would happen. And I like the the different perspective of this. And I haven't seen Oppenheimer or Godzilla. I'm not a, a huge moviegoer. I know that's like a sin amongst you two. Girl, I'm so sorry. for people that can't see my face right now. <laughs> Unless I'm they're watching on YouTube. <laughs> I know it feels like a sin to say that in front of Emily and Tom, who are like the moviegoers of the group. But I, so I don't know the perspective. Obviously, I know what Oppenheimer is about, so I, I have a general idea of what that movie is like. I didn't know that Godzilla kind of used that too, but it's interesting, and it's very realistic, because if Cursed Energy is specific to Japan, and what Pseudo Ghetto is doing is to enhance this, then yeah, I mean, I could see especially that powerhouse as in us our country kind of striking back it, it's just interesting to see like how how pervasive like that that fear of america is i think in japanese people because of what was done to them and like for the record it's unforgivable but it does result in some really interesting storytelling like from godzilla who has represented the atomic bomb since the beginning and like all, all these different perspectives and films like i just think it's interesting that like even in this brief moment it's something that gege was able to weigh in on because it's probably still such an enormous part of the culture knowing that they've had to rebuild from like literally nothing which is also what's happening in shibuya now in this scene is like they're they essentially got hit by like the equivalent of probably what would be an atomic bomb and now they're gonna have to figure out how to rebuild and this time it came like internally and so it would, of course, like trigger like suspicion and probably contempt from these other major world powers. So I just thought I just thought it was an interesting little cutaway. But even though Yuki's probably right, we see Pseudo Ghetto reveal that his views are actually different than what she's saying, because he says that he sees all human life as potential to tap into. He's the one that created the death painting wombs during his time as Noritoshi Kamo. And now he uses the technique he's just freshly absorbed from Mahito here in this scene. You know, Yuki and Yuji and everyone that's there are like all trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and he reveals here that he's used idol transfiguration to activate essentially two different kinds of people that he'd pre-selected. The two kinds being non-sorcerers who also ingested cursed objects, which is kind of like what Yuji did with the Sukuna finger. And people who were meant to be non-sorcerers. So people like Junpei, rest in peace. And he says that they are now going to awaken and fight each other to master their curse techniques, which is kind of like unleashing a thousand Yuji's. I mean, if they're all like Yuji, that's probably fine. But I feel like this is probably not good. Yeah, it feels like a little bit less control. I think Yuji is very clearly a little bit stronger than the average person because even like Gojo was surprised that he could control whenever he swallowed a finger. Like that surprised Gojo. He was like, oh, nice. Like you're actually really, really good. <laughs> so I don't think everyone's going to be just like Yuji. I think everyone's just going to be like when Sukuna takes over his body, which is just not good because we saw what happened in Shibuya when Sukuna took over his body. Mass destruction. So this is like, 
just absolute chaos that pseudo ghetto is essentially trying to bring onto Japan and not a good time. Yeah, I think there'll be like two sides of the same coin. Um, I think that there's going to be people that come up that maybe have good intentions and a lot of people that don't. I think it's probably going to lean more toward people that don't. Yuji's like the kindest boy ever, so he's one of a kind. No one's actually like Yuji. This is true. We love our sunshine boy character who has been through a lot this season. Hopefully he still maintains some of that sunshine, but you couldn't blame him for being a little cloudy this season. He, he um, went through everything he went through this season in like 20 minutes also. Yeah. Which is like insane to think about. Like we watched it over the course of like weeks and weeks and weeks and months, but it really happened in like five to 10 minutes. And, and he got turned into a meme. Our poor little sunshine boy, but also you like same. Special. The like, it's like <laughs> dark face. That's like me every time I open an email. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my poor sweet boy. Yeah, this is probably not good. Like Tom was saying, most people are not going to have good intentions. That's just like humankind. That's how cursed energy came to be in the first place is like all these worst feelings that humanity has. And not everyone is going to be like Yuji. There probably will be some other people that are, if not similar, at least like exceptional in a similar way to his abilities and techniques. Like there are going to be probably... Um, some like newfound geniuses out of whatever has just happened and that could either be really good or really bad <laughs> um for ghetto i think it's a little bit of a gamble in that regard he doesn't really seem to be too concerned because he actually makes his exit now and as he does he says something to the effect of are you listening sakuna the golden age of jujitsu is returning the world will be as it was in the Heian era." And then he leaves with the box that is sealing Gojo, which is also not good. Yeah, there's, there's a really interesting conversation that I've, I've seen about Gojo's remarks there about how he wants to bring back the Heian era. And that was like the peak of, of Jujutsu Sorcery because everybody was basically coming together to defeat Sukuna. So it's interesting to see that kind of come up again where everybody is like, I need to get stronger to fight this battle that's coming up. It is like he's trying to recreate that era, which is really cool well his whole thing i guess is pushing the boundaries of of cursed energy um and just trying to to get everybody as strong as possible so i guess it makes sense that the peak of sorcerer's abilities were during that era so to bring that again he wants to get everybody stronger he really wants natural selection at its like its finest <laughs> also i have to say thank you demon slayer for teaching me when the heian era was because it was uh, a thousand years ago from the Taisho era, which was a hundred years ago from here. So, eleven hundred years ago was when Jujutsu Sorcery or Cursed Energy was at its highest peak. So, that's pretty cool. Thanks, Japanese history. Natural selection. That's just the only word I can really think of here. It, he really wants to just bring back all the strength of an era that he probably enjoyed because everyone was strong and it was interesting. So He's really just out here so bored. That's literally how I felt. Like, he's just bored. He he just wants to watch people kill each other. He's like, ah. yeah. But the real question is, was Muzan a cursed technique user? <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> His wardrobe is certainly cursed. <laughs> oh, no. 
poor Michael Jackson's not even here to defend himself from the accusations. <laughs> we'll never know. What, what do you think Muzan's curse technique would be? It'd be like... It's like really good dancing. Okay. We're moving on. <laughs> I was going to answer that seriously. <laughs> no, really though. What would it be? The only thing I can think of bases it off of his final form, and I don't know if I really want to say that because of spoilers. Mm. Also like vampirism of some kind, mm. like along those lines. So he's since... a JoJo character. Yes. That's where that that's where this was all going. <laughs> On next week's episode of the Hishira Half Hour, big beefy hunks from JoJo. <laughs> it certainly has no. the himbos, doesn't it? JJK and JoJo. Everybody needs a good himbo. We just, but there is a limit. <laughs> That's not true. The limit does not exist. Anyway. Sorry, um, just going jo- off the rails. That's my fault. <laughs> Jojo aside, we are done with this scene, unfortunately. And like, this is where the fight ends. Pseudo Ghetto has effectively won Noritoshi Kamo, whatever you want to call him. Who knows what names might come up next. This guy's gone for the time being. He's taken Gojo with him, and that means that, like, the dust can actually kind of settle here in Shibuya, and that's what we see happen next. We cut away from this scene to see the jujitsu leaders at the headquarters, and they're arguing about what to do in the aftermath of Shibuya, so I think we can assume at least a little bit of time has passed. They're creating evacuation plans for the residents. And they say in their conversation that they estimate that 10 million curses have been released. And they're deciding whether to announce to the public that cursed spirits exist, because this is obviously like a major public issue. Something that's probably hard to try to convince people that have until now never heard of something like this. We see that they do end up making that decision. We see flashes of like newscasters and people watching the news. Can you imagine trying to announce something like this to the world, though? Like, what do you think would realistically happen if we all turned on our TVs and our radios or whatever, and this was like the news that we were getting was happening either in our neighborhood or even if it was happening in like modern day Japan? I don't know. I I think if it were to happen in the U.S., there'd be a lot of people that didn't believe it. And then there'd be protests saying it's not real. Uh, uh, Scarily enough, I think that that would actually happen. A lot of people are like, I don't see it with my own eyes. It's not real. So, Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, because, again, I kind of compare it to Demon Slayer, where we have this, like, supernatural entity. But in Demon Slayer, everyone can see them. It's just if you encounter one or not. But with cursed spirits, they don't see it. So it's like, how do you actually believe what they're saying? I I guess you can see it if you're, like, about to be killed by one or whatever. But it's definitely an interesting way to move forward to just tell people i feel like that could almost just bring even more chaos into the already chaos though that was like my first thought was like you should probably still not really say much because people are just gonna erupt into a different kind of chaos because even though this is in america i think there still would be a lot of people who would just be like i don't believe that and there would be protests and all kinds of different things that would happen so it's definitely a sticky situation it is really interesting, too, because even if you were to, like, film a curse, even if, like, you played it back, would you even be able to see it? And unless you can see cursed energy. So there is that whole thing where it's like, oh, they're really not real because I can't see them. Mm-hmm. Like, literally just can't see them. So it'd be, yeah, it would be a sticky situation for sure. It's really interesting, and I'm not going to get too political or say too, too much, but I will say that I feel like we saw 
some kind of similar news unfold in real life over the last couple of weird years that we've had. And it's been interesting to see like how people respond to that news because it, it feels like it's very polarized, like one way or the other. It, it feels like this would almost be something similar, <laughs> like very polarized. But when things are polarized, it's hard to actually get anything done, you know, assuming that like what's being presented is real. So isn't that crazy? <laughs> Clearly, in at least the context of the jujitsu world and in Japan in this story, it's real. And it's a real problem, especially for the civilians that have like no idea what's going on and that are kind of forcefully being thrown into this, like seeing all kinds of different reactions. And, and we kind of see from the, it's, it's actually surprisingly sort of nonchalant, the responses that we do see. People are like watching the news. They're like, that's weird. They're like, anyway, what's for dinner? And maybe that's realistic too. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's that, you just don't give it more than like a passing thought, just like anything else that you see flashing in front of you, immediate gratification on the screen. And like, that's kind of scary, too, in this circumstance of this story. But speaking of things that are scary, uh, the next thing we see is something straight out of a horror movie. And of course, I'm talking about the scene here with the little girl in the convenience store and the cursed spirit outside. The way that this cursed spirit was trying to act kind of like a mother saying, like, I have a warm bath, I have food. I am very interested in literature. We've talked about this before. And I'm not super familiar with a Japanese version of a story that's really similar to this. So if anyone that's listening knows of one, feel free to drop it in the comments because I'd love to read it. But we are all based in the Southwest U.S. region. And so we have folklore that's like specific to the region also. And so this spirit and the way it presented itself almost made me think of the La Llorona story of like the mother who drowns her two children herself and then like wails for them in the middle of the desert. Like there's something really creepy about like this kind of mother figure trying to like care for this little girl that's in the convenience store when we know, of course, that the intentions are actually quite malicious. I don't know. What did you guys think? I thought this was so creepy. Yeah, I feel like I've seen this kind of approach to a like a monster in a couple different folklores like the Krakota is just like that it would listen to humans outside of villages and learn human voices and it would call out for help and then get people to go out there and then it would like kill them um so it, it's really interesting to see like another version of that I'm sure that there is a Japanese folklore like that so I'd be really interested to look into it but yeah it's pretty scary <laughs> <laughs> even just like the movements and like just the idea oh it's pretty yeah it was gnarly it definitely took like a genre turn for a second. It got like very Junji Ito. It was cool. JJK definitely has those moments where I'm like, all right, I didn't sign up to watch a horror anime. Come on, let's, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> I could be way off here, but my first thought was that that was her actual mother turned into a curse. Like, but I don't think, isn't Mahito the only one that's capable of doing that? But I guess Pseudo Ghetto technically can use Mahito's power so it could be real. Anyway, that was call me crazy, but that was my first thought. I was like, ah, oh, that's probably her actual mom trying to call for her, but probably not. Probably just a cursed spirit being crazy and trying to lure her, which kinda worked. It's really creepy and I didn't I didn't actually even like think that it would be her real mother because it messed up when it was like ever like everybody's here, your brother's here and your teacher's here. And she's like, I don't have a brother. And it's like, yeah. I don't have a brother. I hate my teacher. It's like repeat. Like, it was so creepy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if something's been like morphed to that extent, like it totally could still be 
spoiler for anyone that didn't watch like all of Attack on Titan, but like Connie's mom um, being like the first like Titan where I think we all clearly got an idea that we're like, oh, this is like that person. Yeah, I don't know. It definitely could be something like that too, but this poor little girl is like stuck and alone either way. And like, even if it used to be her mom, it clearly has like very malicious intent right now. So not good, but just in time to save her from the clutches of this creature, we see Yuta and we love Yuta in this house. He and Rika take that thing out so quickly. And honestly, it's, I think just like a badass entrance. What did you guys think? So the second time that I watched through Shibuya was the same day that I watched Zero, because <laughs> we literally watched all. <laughs> yeah, we watched Zero and Hidden Inventory and Shibuya all in one day. Yes, 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 we were bored. It was New Year's Eve. So watching this a second time after refreshing my memory of his story and how much I actually really love that character made his entrance even better for me. I was so excited to see him. I forgot how many times they referenced him in season one as well, just as like, oh yeah, that strong guy. Oh yeah, uh, he took on Kyoto School alone and beat the shit out of them, essentially. <laughs> so excited to see him. I I talked to Emily about this and I'm going to say it now. I could have sworn that he had exercised Rika, but she is here. So I'm kind of interested to see if maybe I just need to rewatch it once again and I just missed something. Or if that's good again, an explanation later, but just really happy to see the boy. Yeah, something I just thought about too is his his entrance speaks a lot about what his like how strong he is too, because what I just realized is that curse could speak, um, which says that it's intelligent, which means it's a pretty strong curse. So if anybody weaker would have showed up right there, like it would have been really bad for that little girl. Uh and also the sorcerer. So really shows how strong Yuta is, just showing up and like obliterating that thing with Basically, no effort. The OG MC is such a strong boy. And Rika. I love that he, like, covers her face, too. Because clearly, like, she can see the cursed spirit. And he's like, don't look on the wall splattered over there, please. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. He's, like, such a good big brother character. He's like, don't look. You don't need to be seeing that. Uh, Rika, that's not nice. Play nice. <laughs> With others. I think also, it's only like, it's only been like a couple years or something too, right? Since zero, I think it's been like one year. Less than two one years. Year? It's been a he little got over. Really one tired in like a year. They yeah. definitely animated him. He's tired. gotten at least seven emails. Well, I guess he's also <laughs> dealing with with he's also dealing with like some jet lag because he just came from Africa, right? So yeah. I guess there's some jet lag there. Maybe that's what it is. That's my headcanon now. <laughs> also, I feel like he's like because he's so strong he's like their show pony and he's like working 24 7 probably yeah. so even though most of this seems exclusive to japan like who knows what kind of cursed spirits might exist in africa that he would have to deal with too while he's looking for what he's looking for yeah i don't know also i really like i really love the choice of the voice actor for this character because it's so like soft and honest like kind of feminine honestly and i i sometimes don't like that or it takes me some time to get used to or it makes me feel like kind of i don't know like bad for the characters because and that might be an american thing where it's like kids that are like that that boys that are like that that identify as boys and like have that voice for a long time get teased a lot and that definitely so it i don't know but there's something like so cool about this character that has this voice that seems like so gentle and sweet being like the strongest aside from gojo 
um, and being like really understated about it because like half of this happens and he's like not even looking at what's going on behind him as like he and Rika are effectively slaying this massive curse. So Slay. happy to see him. Yes. <laughs> happy to see him back in the game. But Yuta is back for a reason, of course. So he is here to meet up with the jujitsu higher ups and they assign him to kill Yuji. So that's not good. Yuta is committed to like earning their trust and he's like i've killed so many people don't you trust me they're like it doesn't matter how many you've killed you could still like go against us so then he commits to make a binding vow for this and he lists a couple of reasons one of them is that apparently inumaki's arms were both lopped off by yuji when he was sukuna which like i think that's the first time we're hearing about that that's pretty awful we don't know too much about binding vows yet and we definitely don't know about what happens when you break one, because it seems like you effectively can't. So when he commits to making this binding vow, his life is likely on the line here too, meaning that like he's really serious about what he's going to do. And then he gets to say his famous line here, which is, of course, I will kill Itadori Yuji myself. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it's 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 cool to see two characters that we both know and love, and we're both the MC at one point going to collide in the future and they're kind of setting that up i think that that is really cool um obviously this set yuta up as like an antagonist that you're like oh please don't do that but like i want to see you fight <laughs> it's it's gonna be really fun to watch so excited for that it's like two gojo or gojo's two prized students going after one another and yuta's pretty pretty strong i don't think yuji really has a chance against him so I don't love this because I love Yuji and I love Yuta and I don't want them to fight. But he seems pretty committed to this considering he is doing a binding vow. So not happy about that. I will say if there's one thing Yuji's really good at, it's getting his ass kicked and then somehow Surviving. finding a way to not die. I mean, he so. is technically the actual main character. So like he's got to... He he he's got to make it out somehow. He's my main character. I just like to remind people that YouTube <laughs> is also the original main character, which is just always so fun to think about. Like, what if well, it went down that road? Like, what what would the show be like? It would definitely be different. But what I do think it means, at least seeing him now, is like we're going to be seeing a lot more of him because, effectively, like, I mean. There, there's three major antagonists now, as far as we know, because Yuta's, like, in the immediate term, like, immediately going after Yuji. Ghetto went off to who knows where. So, like, that's not good. And then, of course, there's Sukuna also. So it just gets, like, more layered and more interesting, and it makes things very difficult for our sweet little main character. He has a lot of hurdles to jump through, and not a lot of people left on his side, um, which we'll get to here in a minute. But Yuta's committed... And once that assignment has been made, we see like several black screens with notices that have been announced by the jujitsu leaders. And so, of course, that includes Yuji's death sentence and Yuta's position as his executioner. But there are a couple others as well. So Ghetto, of course, they know now is um, his status has been upgraded to alive. <laughs> and so they are like, OK, he is sentenced to death again. And then double jeopardy for real. 
And then Gojo is deemed as an accomplice in the Shibuya incident, and so he's been exiled, and they say that removing his seal or attempting to is considered a criminal act. And the principal is going to be executed, allegedly for inciting Gojo and Ghetto for committing like everything that happened to terrorism in Shibuya. What are your thoughts on these other announcements? This pissed me off. And I like, full disclaimer, this did not make me hate the episode. A lot of people seem to think that if you felt pissed off by this episode, it meant that like you thought it was bad. I don't think it was bad. Stories can piss me off and still be really good stories because I think this is a, this is political. This is a story where, you know, it's always kind of been a little bit political. And I think the higher ups have also been looking for the opportunity to kind of, even though he's doing so much for them, get rid of Gojo. And this is the perfect opportunity for them to do that because they have the perfect evidence that he not only didn't kill Ghetto, but he assisted him to get to this you know, Shibuya incident. So I hate it. The higher ups are dumb. And I don't know where it's gonna go from here. Granted, I have read through volume 19 now. So I do have some future knowledge of this story. But it, yeah, it pissed me off. Like I literally had to sit there and like kind of seethe for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think the the higher ups have been looking for a reason to find a way to get rid of Gojo for a really long time. And now they're like, oh, somebody did it. Now we can blame everything on him. And Gojo's whole thing is that he wants to break free of the old traditions and get rid of the higher-ups and all this. So he's he's always kind of been a threat to them. And they do represent like an old way of thinking and not really advancing the cursed uh, or the, the jiu-jitsu sorcery. So um, it makes sense that they would kind of use it as a, a way to blame him for everything. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Even though it's like clearly not the case, it's kind of tricky because there's not a whole lot of eyewitnesses left to see like what he did accomplish while he was able to. And I agree that they've been like looking for an excuse and a reason. And they're so short-sighted that they're like, they don't understand how getting him out is going to be in their best interest in the immediate term. Because like if he got sealed, that's like the caliber of what they're up against and these people that are like the leaders are almost never as well equipped to handle disasters like this but they get voted into their positions anyway i'll leave that at that <laughs> um <laughs> um i sense a but double also, entendre there <laughs> i don't know fake news um <laughs> you know like to to play the devil's advocate for a moment what they do know about gojo is that like he was the one that was supposed to have killed Ghetto. Ghetto's clearly alive and is mostly responsible for this. And what they also know is that Gojo and Ghetto were extraordinarily close, which is what we got to see in Hidden Inventory and part of why it's so important, like where that part of the story fell in the timeline of us being presented the information as the audience. So is it like a fairly reasonable thought for them to think like they didn't end up, like he didn't end up killing Ghetto because like, he loves him as, in whatever capacity, as a friend or what. And, like, they've been conspiring to do this this entire time. Maybe. I do think it's probably more so that they just want to get rid of Gojo. But I think the other is also possible. It's not entirely far-fetched. There's really, like, the evidence technically does stack against it. Against Gojo. Because they were close. It pretty much, what it looks like is that Gojo didn't actually kill Ghetto. And he conspired with him to do 
this Shibuya incident. And I think the thing that more confused me was uh, Masamichi was like, why, why him? Because he wasn't even like, I don't know why that happened. That one I couldn't piece together. But Gojo, I could still pissed me off and still made me mad at the higher ups. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's probably a way for them to cover their own ass and not blame themselves. So they want to blame it on. You know, they sent the strongest there and the strongest didn't come back. So they want they just want to blame it on somebody. And I think if they want a scapegoat for it, it's got to be the guy that they hate. So I think that's really what it is. And Ghetto even has him right now. So it's like, ah, he just took him and he's going to go do whatever. It's like, it really does make it kind of look like they're conspiring. So I get it. <laughs> and to further like support that possibility, his sentence is not technically as harsh as Ghetto's. Ghetto has the death sentence again, but Gojo, they're like, just don't unseal him. And if anybody does, he's exiled from Japan. So, so I think they know that like, it's also, it's in their best interest to keep him alive as much as possible. Yeah. They also want to get rid of Sukuna and Sukuna's vessel. So having Gojo taken out of the picture, they're like, okay, well, Anything that he was in charge of leading is now void. So now we get to also kill Sukuna and Yuji, which was another problem that we had. So they're really just taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, they're milking it for everything it's worth, for sure. But fortunately for us, that is the last we see of them for at least a little while. Because now we cut back, and this is the final scene of the episode. And we get to see Yuji here. It appears to be some time later. He stands alone on a bridge, and we see him take a deep breath, and then he claps loudly in what we can assume is Shibuya because it's, like, highly deserted. This noise summons several enormous cursed spirits to him, and then we cut to the credits with the song More Than Words. And that's the end of season two. Yay. I mean, I'm very sad, but also yay. I'm kind of glad it's over, but also I just picked up the manga because we know I don't have any patience, so. I bet manga sales absolutely skyrocketed after this. Yeah, I think that's the case for any anime when, like, the season ends, the manga sales for that series go way up. When I, not to bring up Demon Slayer again, but when I tried to read Swords and Village the first time after Entertainment District ended, volume 13 was completely out of stock everywhere. Amazon didn't have it, Barnes & Noble didn't have it. It was just, like, out of stock for a month. No one could get it. Because everyone was like, oh, I gotta read this. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I did the same thing after uh, JJK season one. I was like, I gotta know what happens next. And then I got to read Shibuya. And I was like, do I want to continue the series and get my heart broken <laughs> so much? But it has turned into my favorite. So I'm glad that I kept reading. Because here we all are. <laughs> here we are, despite everything. Uh, oh, man. I feel like, and for the manga readers, like, we won't say too much, but th- this is, like, what I will say is this is where it absolutely had to end. Um, because we are going to pick back up off and running whenever we do get season three, which I'm very excited for. It's going to be absolutely incredible. End of season two. We've been through a lot together. We've seen some really high highs. We've seen some really low lows. So let's go ahead and transition for now to favorite moments from this episode. I'll go ahead and go first. So I I do think in this episode, my favorite probably is like the whole sequence of Yuta showing up, but especially the horror feel of the moments before with the little girl, it did almost feel like an entirely different anime to me. And I probably would not be able to stomach something that felt like that if it was like the entire episode or an entire show like that. 
but I do think it just shows that like these storytellers are really masterful. And again, this is something that's aided by being animated versus what was presented in the manga. I, I think it was a lot creepier to have to watch this and like the pacing of it being kind of slow. Like it just actually made my hair stand on edge. It was really creepy and really well done. I don't think I could handle much more of it, but I really liked it in this context. So I, I kind of go back to saying like this episode, it was kind of hard to find something that was a favorite because it wasn't like, Again, it was a good episode. It was just not super enjoyable because of how much bad stuff happened. Even though it's bad, I'm going to call out a moment that I actually forgot to mention earlier. And it's when Geto leaves and Yuji runs after him screaming Gojo Sensei. Because we know that I love voice acting and like that always... You know, I hold these voice actors into very high regard. And Yuji's voice actor this season has just been absolutely killing it and that was like his last hurrah of the season and it like sounded like his voice was breaking completely like you could feel the emotion and i was just like okay time to go sob i'll be i'll be right back <laughs> yeah there's a lot of people online that are like man nobody really loved gojo because everybody's just like oh gojo's sealed what are we gonna do nobody really like mourns for him but yuji's like crying throwing up like he, his whole heart is broken. He just saw a man like that he really looks up to just get sealed and taken away to who his, knows where. His two dads so. are gone, essentially. Yeah, like. he's had he had a rough night. My favorite moment. I have I have kind of two. I just wanted to call out a direction choice that I thought was really interesting. Uh, it was cutting through kind of the wreckage of Shibuya, which I thought was really fun. And then it shows these two people like making dinner, watching the news, and it's like very quiet and cozy. And then they just get like obliterated by one of these monsters, which I thought was a really cool direction choice because it honestly scared me when I watched it. I just thought that was really cool. So I wanted to call that moment out. But my favorite moment besides Yuta's entrance in this episode, I guess that's three. Um, Yuta, obviously, like that's the very obvious big moment. But one moment I really liked was that man Kisakabe tanking Uzumaki with a simple domain. This man has no curse technique. And he is so cool at not dying all the time. <laughs> I just think he's just the, the cool, tired old man that's just like, all right, I got to do this thing. And then he does it. And it's always so cool. I just think he's a cool character. Just like me for real. <laughs> like he, he really just tanked Uzumaki. Like that's so cool. Not a scratch on him. He's just tired. He's like, oh, okay. I had to do that. Like, <laughs> I think it's really cool. We love Kusakabe mostly. But he does not love Yuji. So that doesn't work out in our favor. But we'll have to find out more about that next season. So I think they just need to have a little talk. A little I talk. Think I think they'll find that they have a lot in common. You know what? You're right. I don't think that they'd be big talkers. He'd be, he, it's like grunting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. <laughs> it's like dad speak. Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, a lot to come in this story. And... A, a lot that still needs to be wrapped up that just like there's just so much that happened in this season it would be impossible to wrap up everything because then the story would be done so we've got a lot to look forward to which is exciting and since this is the last episode of the season i would like to do a special extra <laughs> i would like to hear your favorite moment from the whole season or your favorite episode if you want to say both that's also okay i'll go first so I have been waiting so long to get to talk about this, but 
the specials opening has been so incredible for me to watch every single time, even from the first time that we saw it. Um, as a manga reader, there is so much foreshadowing that happens in this sequence that we couldn't really say anything about for the sake of like not sharing spoilers or things that we knew were going to happen in the story. But we were like foaming at the mouth right at the beginning. The first time we saw this and heard this song, in the first line of the first verse of the song, there is a shot that like kind of pans over a bunch of the characters like like standing next to each other. So we see like Nanami, Nobara, Grandpa Zenin, Maki, Megumi, Ijichi. And in this shot that pans, it's like, oh, like every single person that's in this shot, as far as we know, by the end of the season has been KO'd. And the people that are okay are not in this shot. And so that was kind of wild seeing that the first time. Um, that's, you know, not... Again, not to bring up Demon Slayer again, but I'm going to do it. Like the all the hypotheses of like, oh my gosh, if they're facing this way, are they going to be okay? If they're not facing, <laughs> like, we've heard the theories, but like, so seeing like JJK do something kind of like that was like, oh, like, like oh, they don't this know. is crazy. <laughs> like, they don't, they don't know. know. Somebody's like, gonna, who's going to tell them? Mina doesn't know. <laughs> me, me and Brian. Yeah. We, now we know. Now we know. So that's like one example. Um, of course, one of the really obvious ones is Nobara's hand covering the left side of her face that later gets blown off. Something that changed like midway through this part of the season was, of course, that satellite view of Shibuya at the beginning looking like Shibuya. Towards the end, we see that it's like a like a huge gaping hole in this satellite view and Shibuya is gone after the fight that's happened. So and then, of course, there's, like, one shot of Yuji completely alone at the end. So that hurts. That hurts. That sucks. But what an incredible and thoughtful sequence that we've had to keep quiet about for so long. They really, really nailed it with this special's opening. And I'm excited to see how they hopefully top it eventually. But this was really, really well done. And just to quickly put it out there, if I had to pick a favorite episode, that's a tough choice. But... Probably Gojo kicking ass and taking names because that's maybe the last joy that we felt in the season. But the Choso versus Yuji fight's also high on the list for me. I think my favorite moment from the season uh, is gonna, Emily's going to laugh at this. Um, obviously, all the fights are like really cool. I, I love all that stuff. The animation is great. But I think personally, there was a moment for me in the season that I related to a lot. And it was Nabito <laughs> Zenin's speech about upscaling to 4k fps and, or 4k and 60 fps that i just absolutely lost it over like this whole monologue he's like going off about this and he's like isn't that uncultured and i'm like yes preach king let him know that is like by far my favorite moment from this season and it's like not anything anybody else really cares about but i just fully relate to him i'm sad to see him go um, I thought he was a really fun character. Like, if I had a curse technique, that's probably what it would be. Anyway, that's my favorite moment from the season. I I am also going to go away from fight scenes because they all were, in my opinion, just equally amazing. The moment that I think just brought me the most, like, joy, and I'm like, oh, I really liked that, was when Choso showed up and was just like, I'm your brother! <laughs> Everyone's just confused. First of all, the fight scene that, you know, did ensue there with Choso versus Sudo Ghetto and uh, Urame, that was so good. 
first of all, the music was good, the, the animation was good, but just like the whole thing, like I was genuinely like having a great time in that moment. I was like, yes, like I love that. Like Choso's like gonna be the big bro to Yuji. Uh, still a lot of mystery involving that. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. But as far as episodes goes, I I have to agree with Emily. The episode where Gojo goes ham. Because first of all, that was just so much fun. Second of all, that was actually really fun to be in the fandom. Even though it was like a bunch of feral people. All three of us included. <laughs> yes. Of us. We, we were all feral. there. <laughs> Everyone was feral. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun. It was like a weird experience that i thoroughly enjoyed and got to watch one of my best friends get like literally famous over so you know that's cool (laughs) and i'd do it again (laughs) and i will and i will be watching it on 4k blu-ray when it comes out (laughs) watching it over and over the way we watched sun dragon halo head dance or whatever it's called (laughs) again That was all of us. We are just as guilty and feral. But we all were guilty and feral together. So really, it it was the Jujutsu Kaisens we made along the way. <laughs> okay. Um, we are definitely running low on time. So uh, we have a quick Shibuya secret for you this week. Um, but knowing that we do have lots of JJK left, both manga and anime, there was a funny little drawing in one of the most recent leaked chapters of jjk um gege always does like the little artist doodles oh, on the I... side i feel like a lot of manga could like they draw themselves like some weird little like gremlin or like creature and they leave like some little small author's note in the manga and so there was a recent one from gege and um it was their self-portrait like one-eyed cat and the cat was saying I look forward to having a good relationship with you in the new year, too. (laughs) So as much as we have talked shit about it this last half of a year, honestly, at least Gege is self-aware. They know. So they gotta know, right? Do they know? Do they know? I think they know. (laughs) That is all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed and that you will come back next week to listen to us. Um, We still have a few months before Demon Slayer starts, so let us know in the comments what you'd like to hear from us next in the meantime. Don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell on YouTube, or download the podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify. If you like what you've heard today, if you want to give us a five-star rating, leave any comments that really helps us find anybody new that would like to listen to the podcast. You can also give us a follow on TikTok and Instagram. We are at Hashira Half Hour, and we are also on X, formerly known as Twitter, on Hashira Half. Till next week, yo Imo. Yo Imo. Yo Imo. <laughs>